0: Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 66. In today's episode it's an update on dog and cat vaccines, titer testing, and how to best prevent disease. A new treatment for autoimmune disease in dogs and cats. Plus this hard-to-believe story about a healthy dog being euthanized as part of the owners will request that she be buried with her dog. Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes and Stitcher. I would appreciate it if you'd subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, you can do so on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog or send me an email, podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Let's get right into today's podcast. First, the update on vaccines and titer testing. My last dog, Hoochie, he he sort of were the first dog I really had in veterinary practice. He developed cancer at the age of eight. And I suspect part of this was I gave him yearly vaccines. You know, was that the only underlying cause? No, it's not. But I kind of wondered, could I gave him the multivalent vaccine? So distemper, adenovirus, parvovirus, leptospirosis, so I gave him all those vaccines, rabies every one to three years. Yearly, he would have had the kennel cough vaccine. I thought if I'm gonna suggest clients get that, I'm gonna give it to him. But I kind of wonder, like, did that play a role in him getting cancer? Yes, vaccines have a role, and clearly they have a role in disease prevention. But also looking at what are you feeding your dogs or cats? Are you over-medicating them? Are you making sure they have healthy, functioning immune systems to prevent disease in the first place? You know, the renowned immunologist, Dr. Ronald Schultz, he has to say that annual revaccination in many cases it provides no benefit and may increase the risk for adverse reactions the percentage of vaccinated animals those vaccinated only as puppies protected from clinical disease after challenge with canine distemper virus canine parvovirus and canine adenovirus in the study was greater than 95 percent so what he's saying you've got these animals where vaccines have a much longer duration of immunity than was previously thought yet this really hasn't made its way in much in many 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 veterinarians like they're still doing these yearly vaccines. And that was the conventional approach, get annual booster shots. And it was a really good way to get clients to come back in. Fortunately, the situation is changing, all slowly. And this comes from the ABMA. While there is evidence that, that vaccines provide immunity beyond a year, revaccination of patients with sufficient immunity does not necessarily add to their disease protection and may increase the potential risk of post-vaccination adverse events. Right now, all veterinary associations and veterinary schools they've changed their advised canine and feline vaccine protocols to reduce vaccine regimen. What are some of the negative side effects of vaccines? They're numerous and varied and I don't want to overplay them as far as I think what's happened is there's kind of been these sort of two camps the pro vaccine camp the anti vaccine camp. Yes there are there can be immediate short-term vaccine reactions you know acute anaphylaxis you know vomiting diarrhea facial swelling etc but then more of my concern is these immune related and long-term diseases you know Immuniated hemolytic anemia. Immuniated skin disease, thyroid disease. You know, vaccine-induced skin cancer, especially in cats. Allergies, arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease. Just some of those to name a few. A bit about adjuvants. So adjuvants are added to help boost the effectiveness of a vaccine. Most of the time, these would be something such as the rabies vaccine, where it's called a kill vaccine. Added a thing such as a mercury-based adjuvant to help boost its effectiveness. The problem is that they're saying only about 15% of the canine and feline vaccines have adjuvants, but those are responsible for 85% of the vaccine reactions. So clearly that's a big, huge, huge issue. Fortunately, now there have been array of different, there's called modified live vaccines as far as distemper virus, parvovirus. Um, there's also now recombinant DNA, um, rabies vaccines, unfortunately only licensed for cats, which do not contain adjuvants and are far, far safer. So definitely much more research needs to be going into focusing on these non-adjuvanted vaccines. So as far as you know, what kind of vaccine regimen do I suggest, Um, In part, I've looked at Dr. Jean Dodds. Um, She's kind of dedicated a big part of her life to vaccines, immunology, duration of immunity and some of the back avoiding the vaccine side effects but also really putting in a sort of a really good balance on this saying that it's not just about you know the pro the vaccines and all their adverse effects so the anti-vaccine group and the pro-vaccine group they say there's no scientific basis to not vaccinate yearly she's saying just look at immunity and immunology if your dog or your cat has adequate protection and they have adequate immune status then they don't need to be revaccinated so she's one really focusing and encouraging people getting tighter testing. So that means making sure your dog or cat has adequate immune status before they get any any additional vaccines. Also focusing on just sort of the core vaccines. Focusing on the diseases that your dogs or cats are more likely to get and just vaccinating for those. Secondarily only vaccinating for as many vaccines that are needed. I sort of base this regimen based on her suggestions. So first with the puppy vaccines what she's suggesting is you wait for nine or ten weeks. An average be 10 weeks before they get their first vaccines, and the 10 week puppy vaccine would be canine distemper virus. Canine parvovirus. That would be followed up with a booster of that in four weeks. So at fourteen weeks, gain, getting a, a booster of canine distemper virus and canine parvovirus. And lastly, she is suggesting that some of the research is saying to be fully protected from parvovirus, you need to get your last parvovirus vaccine four weeks after that. So at eighteen weeks. So that's the core vaccines. And then for many of the U.S. states and some areas where rabies is a huge, huge problem, your dog is going to need to be vaccinated for rabies but what she's suggesting is you wait until about at least 20 weeks if you can if that's allowed by law before you get that rabies vaccine ideally get a recombinant dna rabies vaccine one that is non-adjuvanted and if you can wait longer great so obviously it depends on sort of the, the state and their provincial guidelines what what is required by law and or not so that's the one big suggestion. So There's sort of the, the core puppy vaccines. Avoiding all the other vaccines um, as far as leptospirosis, Giardia, et etc, etc, etc. Um, the kennel cough vaccine, if it needs to be given to going to a puppy class and or a kennel, ideally it's better to get the oral bordetella vaccine as opposed to the intranasal and or the injectable. When your dog is a year of age, at that period of time, my suggestion and her suggestion is look at first then doing a tighter test. So seeing does your dog have protective level of the antibodies of distemper virus of parvovirus if they do they may not need another vaccine the rabies vaccine Many places then still require you by law to have a rabies booster, but that could be given in a year, but at the very least, make sure it's a three-year rabies vaccine. Because now with some of the research coming out, especially from the Rabies Challenge Fund, they know that the duration of immunity for the rabies is well past one year, or like five years, maybe even 10 years. So your dog should only get that three-year rabies vaccine at sort of one year of age. And you want to separate the rabies vaccine with the distemper parvovirus and canine parvovirus vaccine if they're going to get it at that period of time. If they have full protection from a titer test, then they may not need distemper virus, parvovirus vaccine. And some of the other vaccines to avoid, you can avoid leptospirosis, coronavirus, Lyme disease vaccine as well too. So that's kind of her suggestion. For the kittens and for the cats, the core kitten vaccines are FVRCP. So feline viral rhinotracheitis, um, feline calicivirus. So those are two main viruses responsible for the cat flu. Those should be given at eight weeks, followed up with a booster at twelve weeks. So it's called the FVRCP: feline viral rhinotracheitis, feline calicivirus, and feline panleukopenia, also known as feline, known as feline distemper. So that's given in an eight week vaccine, followed up with a twelve week vaccine. Once again, following the similar protocol that was suggested for the dogs with rabies vaccine, where where if you can wait till 20 weeks do that with a rabies vaccine and then once again doing tighter tests at a year of age uh, with your kitten who's now now going to be a cat um, likewise with if they need to have a rabies vaccine booster at that time then make sure that it's going to be a three-year minimum three-year rabies vaccine booster not a one-year rabies vaccine booster they don't need you know if you have an indoor cat my my opinion they don't need to have any of these vaccines now, if i have an indoor kitten he's not going to get a single vaccine i'm going to make sure he's eating well he's eating canned uh, some homemade food some raw food i'll make sure he's properly dewormed but i won't be giving him vaccines as a strictly indoor cat as far as anything else as far as common sense stuff the doctor does is suggesting just you just want to make sure which is what i often practice the same in veterinary practice you're not vaccinating a sick and or weakened animal you're not doing multiple vaccines at once you're not making sure your dog is on any other medication at the same time you're trying to just but the least amount of stress on their immune system while they're getting that vaccine you're gonna make sure lower the likelihood of them having a secondary side effect. And lastly, just using a whole bunch of common sense, like really, really just talk to your veterinarian about titer testing, about duration of immunity, about how so many things have changed now with the thought around vaccines. Do I think you should still vaccinate your dog and your cat? You bet I do. I mean, we still have parvovirus. I would see it quite regularly still here, in my small community. There has still been some instances of canine distemper virus. There has been, fortunately in my area, they have seen very few cases if any animals having rabies. but rabies still exists within North, North America too. So all those, disease still, those diseases still exist. They are preventable by vaccine. But I think the big takeaway here is you need far less other vaccines far less often. And I really think you should take that to heart. I'm also gonna put a link to her suggested vaccine protocol um, underneath the description of the podcast. So you guys can link to that and also show that to your veterinarian. The second part of today's podcast, CBD or cannabidiol as a natural immune molecule modulator. Autoimmunity is an attack on self, where the immune system gets triggered and thinks that the body's tissues are invaders. In an autoimmune disease, there are certain cells called T cells They take action as if your pet's own cells were foreign in order to bring the body back to so-called homeostasis. The self-attack is known as molecular mimicry and is the root of all the autoimmune diseases. The location of the autoimmune attack will vary based on the condition. For example, if there's an autoimmunity in the joints, autoimmune polyarthritis may result. In general, immunosuppressive therapy is very expensive, not very effective, and potentially very harmful. Ideally, the aim should not be to suppress the immune system, but to modulate it, bringing it back into balance, not turning it off completely. So what are some holistic options? You know, what options exist for a dog or cat with an autoimmune condition if you don't wanna use traditional medications? Well, holistic approaches for autoimmune conditions are to decrease inflammation, repair the digestive tract, where you know up to 80% of the immune system resides, and regulate the immune system. So this includes getting rid of stressors and sensitivities on the broad spectrum including environmental, food, chemical, and others. Managing autoimmune disease requires dietary and lifestyle changes, which is reported to help reverse some of these conditions. So a dog or cat with an autoimmune disease, you may consider cannabinoid therapies as an option for their ability to decrease inflammation, modulate the immune system, and help bring the system back into balance so that's the big big thing about CBD cannabidiol and not just that it's a natural anti-inflammatory potentially probably one of the most effective safest natural inflammatories we have to date also its effect in terms of a modulating immune system so when you think about it inflammation it's the root of many illnesses and autoimmunity it's no exception you know extensive research has has been performed on the anti-inflammatory properties of THC CBD and many of the other cannabis components If inflammation response is regulated, there will be less likelihood of an autoimmune attack. More investigation is still needed to examine the particular role of cannabinoids for autoimmune disorders. Cannabinoid therapy has the potential to help those with autoimmune conditions by decreasing systemic inflammation with little to no side effects. Preclinical evidence has found that cannabinoids can attenuate autoimmune inflammatory response. There's animal models showing it being beneficial for multiple sclerosis. CBD decreased the gene transcription that promoted inflammation. So why is CBD oil so effective for dogs and cats? So CBD oil, it's a plant source of cannabinoids that can act as a booster for your dog or your cat's so own endocannabinoid system and help support all of its functions. You know, all animals they have an ECS or endocannabinoid system just like so you, I, your dog, your cat and the endocannabinoid system it helps support appetite, memory, stress response, sleep, body temperature and the immune system. So we can use these plant cannabinoids CBD and that's how they're having such a big beneficial effect um, in our dogs and our cats and ourselves. You know perhaps the most important system CBD can help support are the central nervous system which includes the stress response and the immune system. These two systems work together to keep your dog in a state of homeostasis or balance and CBD it helps for both of those. So what are the doses? So a typical dog or cat dose about one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. This would mean a 50 pound dog would take five milligrams or two drops of my ultimate CBD twice a day. You know, so many of the common diseases in our dogs and cats, they have an autoimmune basis. You know, where this immune system is responding inappropriately and actually attacking itself. You know, skin diseases. So think of things such as allergies, lupus, polyarthritis, hemolytic anemia, thyroid disease or autoimmune thyroiditis, organ dysfunction. Many of those have an immune basis to them. Unfortunately, so many of the better options such as steroids, the stronger immunosuppressive drugs such, such as cyclophosphamide, they have pretty serious um, secondary side effects. And so just the fact now that we have CBD, this emerging natural anti-inflammatory that can be also helpful for an overactive immune system. So if if you have a dog and or a cat with some type of autoimmune disease, for the most part we're dealing with our dogs, but some of the cats can too, it's one thing I would have you guys consider. Talk to your veterinarian about it, look at some of the specific doses. Ideally you want to look at a, a full spectrum, so whole plant extracts, CBD products. so It's got more than just CBD. It has CBD, a small amount of THC, many of the other uh, medicinal or beneficial cannabinoids. And you want to look at those sort of minimum starting doses of one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Now this is a relatively short but disturbing article that I read and talked about a healthy dog was euthanized for burial with owner sparking debate. So this comes from Richmond, Virginia. Veterinarians and funeral homes in Virginia are rejecting the idea that pets should be buried with their owners after a recent case in which a healthy dog was euthanized so it could lie with their owner. They reported that workers at one animal shelter tried to talk the executor of the will out of the plan they failed and the little shih tzu named Emma was euthanized and cremated. Her ashes were placed in an urn and given to the estate's representative. We did suggest they could sign the dog over on numerous occasions because we know it's a dog that we could have easily found a home for, said Carrie Jones, the manager of Chesterfield Animal Services. Dr. Kenny Lucas, as well, it's an emo- emotional situation. His clinic wouldn't do it. You know, whenever we're faced with a euthanasia decision, it's a very emotional situation. And beyond everything we talk about, we need to do it ethically and we've taken an oath to do so you know most veterinarians are pretty clear that they would have such a big big issue with this in terms of, of yes you may you know have that claim in your will but you're definitely not obligated and as a, you're taking clearly an oath uh, to protect animals not to sort of euthanize them out of convenience or somebody's last will and testament i want to be buried with my dog unfortunately i'm pretty confident most veterinarians wouldn't uh, obviously someone here some veterinarian uh, made that choice to do that and it More than anything, I think it was just someone who, I don't know if they just couldn't imagine their dog living with someone else. I have a hard time getting my head around why someone would make that request, especially a healthy, happy dog or healthy, happy cat. Yeah, it's difficult to bond to someone else, but if your dog is healthy and happy, like why would you? The article did conclude saying that a, style, a state lawmaker was considering legislation to address the problem. So clearly it has happened uh, throughout the US and probably throughout parts of Canada. I'm just hoping that most veterinarians would make the right decision and not euthanize a healthy darker cat. And if a law needs to be passed, then the law should be passed, like if this is a thing that's going on uh, throughout our world. But hopefully not, and hopefully this isn't something that uh, needs to be addressed. Thanks you guys today for listening to today's podcast. It's Dr. Jones. I hope you got a little bit of clarity around the vaccines. As I said, I'll link to Dr. Dog's. As- vaccine protocol uh, maybe a bit of clarity on autoimmune disease why should be thinking about CBD and yeah maybe just think about this whole issue around you know us making these ultimate decisions over our dogs and cats and you know maybe we should just be thinking about ourselves so much we think about our animals and what is in their best interest not in our own interests. but once again you guys thanks for listening questions or concerns you can either send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com or you can comment on the blog I post every podcast up in the blog. It's at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog. Talk to you again next week.